with the fifth edition. Join our various gaming groups as we play the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons. And maybe just hang out and chat about gaming in general. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. Hey guys, welcome back to Creative Play and Podcast 30 Day D&D Challenge. Woohoo! Jim here. And Kelly. And today we go from trying to talk all positive and stuff about D&D to something negative. And that thing is Day 23, the least favorite monster. <laughs> shall, shall I let you go first to get this 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 cringe upon your soul off of your off of your hands? Yes. So Kelly, what is your least favorite Dungeons and Dragons monster? Well, there is one creature that has haunted me since, you know, my my youth um, from the original books and stuff. And it's the rot grub. Oh, it just creeps me out so much. And the picture and, you know, and these weren't like the really super refined uh, pictures. You know, these were the early days um, where they're like, hey, can you give us something? <laughs> um, uh, but, oh, God, that picture haunted me. For Sharpie art, it was done so well. Yeah. So well. I mean, trust me, it got the point across. Oh, the thought, oh, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. The thought of these, these large-scale worms, they're not like super small or anything, burrowing into your body and the abject horror on the person's face because I shared that horror. Oh, I mean, the artwork was beautifully, horribly done. I mean, oh, it's just so, yeah. There's, you know, I'm sorry. If that, if anything were like that, we're just supposed to, I'm like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I can't, ew, 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 ew. <laughs> and, and Jim knows he's never allowed to have rock grubs as a, as a mo- uh, monster. They're absolutely oh. forbidden. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> now, for my honorable mentions, um, particularly, uh, you know, it's like, is the, the gelatinous cube, <laughs> I'm like, you know, cause gelatinous cube, you know, can be a bit of a fuck you, but you want to know, I think what is the biggest F you to players. And I, this is another monster that I hate. Um, uh, 
is the rust monster. Ah, there I'm you go, sorry. stealing my mention there. That was That's that was my one. You. The rust monster goes back to trauma as I played D&D back when I was an only player back days because every GM I knew would go out of their way to screw the party over by sticking the rust monster, which is basically like this bug meets armadillo creature that uh, the dwarves, of course, hate uh, with, a, with a glory because the rust monster lives off of rust. And, of course, in every edition of D&D, the Rust Monster has this great ability that lets him destroy metal items. Every paladin fears the Rust Monster with their impenetrable armor class because of shield and armor. And this beast will come up and destroy armor. Yes, they rot ferrous metals, Mm -hmm. iron, steel, mithril. Yes, I mean... Just nasty. I'm sorry. That is a F-U to characters. But correct me for a moment. I can't remember. Do magic weapons... So, let let me give you the rundown on the 5th edition monster, since it's mine. It's a medium-sized monstrosity, which, by the way, if you've ever watched Futurama, when they did the second D&D episode, they had a picture of a rust monster on the screen. It was cool. It was totally a mini reference only for players to get. But the rust monster, and this is the absolutely terrifying skill they have. The rust monster can pinpoint by scent the location of ferrous metal within 30 feet of it. So it will beeline over any adventures that go by when it sniffs with its beautiful butterfly-like antenna that there is metal in the area. Now, mind you, this is only a challenge half creatures. So basically, you'd send two of them after a first level party is a fair fight. So rust metal is their main power. Any non-magical weapon made of metal that hits the rust monster corrodes. After dealing damage, the weapon takes a permanent and cumulative minus one penalty to all damage rolls. If its penalty drops to five, the weapon is destroyed. Non-magical ammunition made of metal hits the rust monster and is destroyed after dealing damage. So, of course, your GM can totally see how the arrowhead pierces it and then just corrodes and powders out of the wound. Yeah. And that's just its passive ability. So it's if you hit it, it rusts your gear. If the rust monster bites you, it does 1d8 damage plus 1. But it's antenna, these beautiful giant moth-like antenna. If the rust monster corrodes a non-magical ferrous metal object, it can see within five feet of it. If the object isn't being worn or carried, the touch of the antenna destroys one cubic foot of it. A foot of metal instantly turns to, to ash rust. If the object is being worn or carried by a creature, the creature can make a DC 11 deck save to avoid the touch so basically they get a deck save to leap out of the way if the object touched is either metal armor or metal shield being worn or carried it takes a permanent cumulative minus one to ac it offers armor reduced to ac of 10 or shield that drops to zero which by the way shields usually only have two ac so if it gets touched twice the object touched is it rusts as described in the rust metal trait. Uh, 
So if it rubs your shield twice, it crumbles into bits right in front of you. Yeah, this is a giant F you to players. Mm-hmm. However, I could totally see a druid raising these because he's wearing his leather armor and his bark armor. And he's like, yeah, baby, I got no metal here and only bad people bring metal to my kingdom. Yeah, what's his buckle made of? <laughs> what buckle? We had those leather lash with the wood buttons to hold our pants up. Toggles. <laughs> Who are we kidding? We're talking a druid. He's he's running, swinging free in the forest. <laughs> yeah. But, yep, that's my least favorite monster is both a GM. You feel, at least me, you feel bad using it because it's totally one of those. You're aiming for one or two players to take them out with this creature. Like the gelatinous cube, the slimes, the oozes. Those those are my honorable mentions because you always feel bad using oozes because they're such a great monster to use. I'm just saying because you can totally drop an ooze in a dungeon that's got nobody in it and the creature will find a way. You know, great ooze will eat through the floor and cause a dungeon to literally start corroding. So you have these bad floors to cause adventures to go from floor one to floor two because the floor gives out. And the fact that if they hit it, it divides into two. I mean, I'm a huge fan of oozes because of the, the, the FU power of the ooze. But you got to be careful as a GM. You want to balance that, you know. And yes, if you're using, you know, unintelligent creatures in regards to like the rust monster or oozes, they're not going to go after just your party. If you have a rust monster and they kite the big bad into the rust monster's territory, it's going to go after the target with the most metal, in my opinion. And I've totally let my players pull that one off. You know, when you whisper to the wizard, hey, you're a smart guy. You know the rust monster might go towards the biggest target of metal. And they totally say, hey, I, I remember that iron golem barring our path that was slower than us, so we escaped it. <laughs> wink, wink, gosh, yeah, gosh. and what happens when it's finished with that golem? Well, hopefully he's got 3,000 pounds of rust to eat and he's busy for the week. Yeah, so um, how quickly did that cubic foot of metal get... Uh, oh, well, it instantly dusted. gets destroyed. But how much do you think the poor creature can eat? Because it's just a monstrosity. It needs... It's not going to eat and run. I mean... Honestly, as a GM, when it comes to least favorite monsters of players, make sure you got some logic. Like if a rust monster has plenty of food, is it really going to go after more food or is it going to stop and eat? I have totally let my players escape because it's like after I've ashed a full suit of armor and a couple weapons into rust, am I totally going to chase you or is it going to stop to eat? It's, it's a simple creature. Let me give you the idea. Its intel is two, not the, the bonus is two. It's two. So its intel is minus four. It's going to be a very, very primitive creature that thinks with its guts. You know, and, and that's one of the things that I always like to remind GMs is how are you playing your creatures? Because you should not, unless it's like a tactical wolf pack, there shouldn't be much tactics. It should be your bear that charges, threatens, and then if given a retreat, will gladly take it. You know, I see rust monsters as basically being these rusty scavengers, you know, like giant cockroaches, you know. 
they get their fill and then the problem is they they enjoy eating while you go running off crying about your armor well they are they are on my uh top five list of no 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 <laughs> yes they're definitely one of those that are just not just not good to throw after players because you know it's they they are super when you throw them after the players the players immediately know which item are ours you going for i mean it is nice in fifth edition how they totally do the caveat of non-magical weapons so that way your magical stuff is safe now because it used to be in older editions if it's metal it's susceptible you know only i think adamantite was the only metal safe from the rust monster and that was because that was no adamantite wasn't safe it wasn't which one was it there was one of the metals in in second and third that was safe from the rust monster, I think. Because per this, it says it's the adamantine as well. Oh, yeah. They call it adamantine, not type, yeah. like you know. Yeah. It's not World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> but that's definitely my least favorite monster is the rust monster, even though it is pure D and D gold. It really is. I mean. The one thing I, I always like to do is think of the monsters, how they hate other monsters, too. You know, I could totally see the trap trap making kobolds freak out when a rust monster gets in their kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden they're like, oh, God, all our booby traps and weapons and treasures and sparklies. But I'm sorry. If there's a rust monster in the game, you know what I think? The DM is literally trying to screw us over. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those of, okay, who pissed off the GM today? Yeah, well, you know, depending, it could have been any of them, because I'm sorry, how many people, very few character classes don't have metal of some mm-hmm. sort. We're talking, come on, studded leather. Yep. Bye-bye studs. Mm, you know, those antenna go rubbing your armor up. Oh, my God. Your cleric, your shield, the buckler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. And and by the way, I will totally throw it out there as players. Uh, back in our 3.0 days when I actually got to play, one of the things we used to do because we had a uh, ranger who had really good use of skills. He'd always you know research, track, use lots of you know he'd basically get intel for us. And um, a lot of times we'd see, like, you know, good GM describes the leftovers of a rust monster, a spear that's missing its head, arrows that have no metal in the arrow head, you know, uh, you know, oddly missing. Not just, you know, it's been crafted. It's literally the metal has been sucked off the arrow. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, uh, in dungeons like that, we would totally do stuff. Cause of course, like back in the older editions, they totally told players to do this. We would leave the dungeon, get some junk weapons or find some of our previous kills leftovers, junk weapons. And we would literally bait like a kid with Reese's pieces in an alien <laughs> with metal things to point the monster where we wanted it to go. And that way we could wait till it goes and then either get past it by putting, you know, finding a nice loop in the dungeon because it's all about the finding using the dungeons layout to the player's advantage, 
you know, which is why GMs never want to show you the whole map, only the part you've been to, so you can learn, oh, guys, I see there's a loop there. We can use that loop. Or we heard a bunch of goblins. Let's send the rust monster after him because it's totally going to go for the metal. Sure and, it is. And you rogues with your ball bearings or caltrops, never be afraid to take that bag of a hundred bearings and throw them as far as you can right past the creature. Think about it. That uh, I would be, you know, remiss if the GM ignored that out of hand. You know, you know, I do that tactic to keep the rust monster busy because it's not out to maliciously kill somebody; it's out to feed. And remember, no, it's the DM out to maliciously screw over the players. <laughs> I mean, I could totally see your GM say, "You know what? I like this idea. Give me an animal handling with advantage." Because you're using bait rather than just giving it to him as a freebie that that's a great idea. Though in the old school D&D, GMs used to totally do that if that was a cool idea at the table and everyone went, that's cool. Just fly with it. You don't need a roll because that is one of the things in the different versions of the more dice rolls. You don't have to dice roll everything, but sometimes it's fun to dice roll things. <laughs> But yeah, I will totally say uh, Lich uh, is my my honorable mention, by the way, because as much as I love the concept of Liches, they are ridiculously overpowered. Just going to throw that out there. Liches are bitches. Liches are bitches. <laughs> they are a bitch to fight. Oh, my God. <laughs> because the problem is, is your typical Lich, for one, they're not going to die. So they're going to return because you're not going to find their phylactery first time. Just ask Harry Potter. And, and second of all, it it is really that big, bad, manipulative power that it's super they're super dangerous to use because if used as properly if you play them as a proper villain they're basically just screwing the players over constantly and they're using proxies to to play against the players you know it's this big cosmic chess game you know where the lich is you know you got so much power and abilities it doesn't really become a fair fight ever for the players to go after them Though there have been some fun storylines with liches where you can totally introduce history into your campaign. Like, oh, guess what? Uh, one of your characters is a prince or a princess, you know, noble background, and you totally pump it up to prince or princess. And you find out the lich is actually your, like, great, 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 great grandfather or grandmother that founded the kingdom. <laughs> and then they change the history books on the next generation. Oh no, he was a great noble paladin, really a uh, evil wizard with a sword. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the council put the lich down or trapped the lich or did something with the phylactery that the lich couldn't come back in the phylactery, which by the way, you can totally like the phylactery was sealed in a sarcophagus too small for the lich to return because they have to have space to grow the new body. So you can then have the adventurers be the poor kids that open the secret location, raise the lich, and then your campaign's whole pretense is to make up for releasing great, 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 great grandpa. <laughs> You've thought about this. I've, I've ran campaigns like that. I, are you kidding? I totally did a He-Man-esque campaign that Skeletor was the lich, basically, and He-Man <laughs> was the prince who released it, and conveniently because back in the day you could totally give your players op weapons and it wasn't a problem i totally did the uh dungeons and dragons cartoon bit where they opened this 
crypt. Someone opened the jar and popped the ring out, and the ring was the phylactery. Yes, I think it was Flash Gordon that inspired it. And conveniently, they find uber weapons from the king's council that trapped the king after he became a lich. So they each get your classic D&D the cartoon super weapon for each character class. You know, so like the main guy who was a paladin, he got his He-Man-esque sword. Our ranger got the uh, bow. I remember our rogue ended up getting, I think it was an invisibility cloak or, or hat, something like that. So that way they each had a uber powerful item and the pretense was the lich was slowly building power as the players are now having to become adventurers because they, oh fuck, we let the big bad evil out. Yeah, better fix that. Yeah. And of course my players were smart. They totally played it off with the, the king and queen that they were going on goodwill missions was their pretense for going off adventuring to find things and find secrets and find knowledge. But it's really just to fix their cock up. Yep. And the Lich was, of course, totally proud of his descendant because look what my kids did. I mean, literally, he was a warlord that learned magic and then went from magic to, oh, God, I'm going to die. I need to become a Lich to protect my kingdom. So unfortunately, he hyper fixated on the kingdom and put power before people. And that's why the council turned on him, because he was turning into a monster, because at one point he was like, well, undead are people. <laughs> so that was my backstory. So basically the group had to like start uh, finding where he, items of his was hidden and be there, get there first type of deal. So it totally had that He-Man episode, you know, episodic feel of what is what is Skeletor's plan this week? <laughs> You're adorable. <laughs> and of course, you know, there's that moment there that the because the Lich is so freaking uber powerful where the bad guy didn't mind losing because, you know, there's that that mentor esque where great, great, great grandpa is proud of how you're winning. Not that you're winning, but how you're winning. And there's nothing worse than an enemy who respects you. Because <laughs> then all of a sudden you feel, oh, God, we got to stay on the high ground, don't we? There's nothing worse than losing the respect of your teacher or your enemy. Oh, are we saying like that? It's like that. It's like I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> when, when the bad guy defeats you all, and he just walks up, putting his face palming and going, "Oh God, kids, I'm just. I, I wish I was mad enough to to finish you off, but you're just so goddamn disappointing." And walks <laughs> off with you all immobilized. The shame. <laughs> I mean, the worst part is when you realize he walked down, massacred a village to get it out of his system, and then raised them all as the dead and sent them after the king's castle. Oh, lovely. That That's a pleasant thought. Good luck getting home, kids. And <laughs> was, but, uh, yeah, liches, if not handled properly, are bitches. I mean, mm -hmm. liches require you to have good characters for them to work honestly because you have to realize what is this lich's goal why did they become a lich there's so much fucking work in that i mean like when you see the dragon liches and stuff that's a lot of work to become a zombie with intelligence with power and then the idea is oh great now i'm all rotten and falling apart what the hell am i gonna do with my life now 
or unlife. <laughs> unlife. I'm just going to sit on my couch and pull out my magic orb and watch my stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I totally visualized that. <laughs> And then you find out the Lich is actually motivating good guys and bad guys, so he has stories to watch. <laughs> Minion comes running up. My lord, my lord! Shh! I'm watching my stories. <laughs> the bad guy has the good guys on the ropes. I'm waiting for the turnaround. <laughs> oh my god, that's fucking awesome. All of a sudden, the paladin comes up on his horse, and you just hear the dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> yes, the guy looks like John Cena. With the long blonde hair. Oh my god, that's too fucking funny. (laughs) After all, what if the whole point of D&D is to give the lich stories to watch? (laughs) Well, think about it. Eternity would be pretty darn boring (laughs) if you had nothing to do. Yep. I mean, and especially when you're a lich and you have to realize that because of your unlife span, even elves live short lives compared to you. <laughs> I mean, think about it. So if you, you if you have to use a lich, please make sure your lich has a really well thought out story. <laughs> use your lich responsibly. <laughs> <laughs> no drive by liching. And and make sure that that you know his motivations, honestly. I mean, your Lich needs to be a well-thought-out character because that will so affect how he interacts with the players or even hires the players. Because think about it, a Lich could totally hire the players, you know. I'm just going to say, you know, Liches don't always have to be evil bitches, you know. (laughs) Well, they're kind of, you know... (laughs) They've committed heinous acts of evil to become it's a witch. Kind of That's kind of the whole point. I mean, they are any evil alignment because, you know, it takes a lot of work to become an undying lich. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's blood on their hands. So, yep. um, yeah, they, they're pretty much evil. I mean, and don't forget that, you know, liches, of course, are horrible. They have paralyzing touches that are plus 12 to hit. I mean, they steal levels. Well, in the new version, they don't really do the level stealing thing anymore. Thank goodness. Only certain races do that. bad enough as it is. Which, by the way, we're totally referring back to the older editions when undead would do stuff to you. They would drain attributes. And when your attributes hit zero, you died. Or... The worst one is when they sucked levels. Yeah, the levels was like, you mean I've been busting my hump and doing all of these adventures. And I finally get to a certain level and you just took three of them away. Yep. That's an F you right there. And this all this also goes back to the olden days when you died, you lost experience. Mm. Remember when you were resurrected, you come back as a level lower than when you you died yeah that, most people just made a new character that was the penalty <laughs> because if you could afford to find someone to bring you back to life you lost life experience in the passing to the other realm now now when the lich just touches you it, let's see here um hits does 3d6 cold damage and the target must succeed on a dc 18 con saving throw or be paralyzed for one minute <laughs> 
One minute. You know what it'd be like if the lich teleports behind your caster at the back of the group and just touches the caster or the cleric and shuts him down for up to a minute? <laughs> Mommy's touching me. Hey, Mommy's touching me. I do not consent. <laughs> And then, of course, oh liches God. have lair actions, which they have uh, three lair actions, which is uh, they cast cantrip. They have paralyzing touch, which counts as two actions. So basically, at the end of their turn, they can take extra actions. Frightening gaze. They fix their gaze on one creature within 10 feet. The target must succeed in a save, DC save wisdom throw against magic or become frightened for one minute. Okay, that'd be funny to frighten the cleric, I'm just saying. And then the dangerous one. Disrupt life. It would burn all of their le- their ac- legendary action points. Each non-dead creature within 20 feet of the lich must make a con 18 save against magic. Take Fail takes 66 necrotic damage. A save is half as much. Ouch! So area effect 3d6 on a successful save to everyone within 20 feet. And of course, it's totally angled to not hurt its undead minions. Because remember, liches totally have the uh, animate dead spell. However, it can totally be fun if you have a dick lich that follows your group and animates their murder victims to use as weapons against them at the end big bad evil fight. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Because you can totally, as a GM, give flavor text to the undead that's attacking your player when they realize under the rotten face that that's Timmy, the cabbage vendor that they murdered for no good reason. Yeah, well, maybe that'll stop you from murdering, you know, innocent bystanders. This is true. Oof, they also have the disintegrating globe of invulnerability. And a worse, (sighs) finger of death. And of course, honestly, if your GM is ever playing a lich, as he probably should with an Intel 20, you know, genius level crafty Intelness, you're never going to catch this guy. He's got plane shift. As soon as you fuck with him, he teleports away to another dimension to go hide and recover. Just going to throw that one out there. You, your, your, your lich should live more than Skeletor and He-Man. You know, the old one, not the new one. <laughs> <laughs> What's oh, well, worse, he'd probably look more like the one from the Dolph Lundgren movie. Oh Which, my god. Yeah. He was a great actor. I mean, great voice for Skeletor. But I think we, uh, we, we, we talked about our least favorite things a whole bunch. Almost like we like them in a secret way. No. There is no liking. No liking. Okay. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> I've totally been trying to distract you from what you said at the beginning because, you know, I need to make sure you don't have nightmares tonight. Cause... Yeah, well, now I'm thinking about oh. the finger of death. No, <laughs> I'm trying to distract you. Sorry. Oh. Cruel, cruel man. So I think we are definitely good at wrapping up there for D&D 30 Day Challenge, our least favorite monster. Now the question is, 
what are you guys' least favorite monster? Because honestly, everybody's got like a different one that's the least favorite. And I have characters who have a specific monster that they don't like. Oh, that's as a character development, that is an amazing mm-hmm. thing. I mean, I know there's the trope of orcs killed my parents. You know what? I still love that as a background because in real life, people's parents are killed by things and there's a motivation right there that, you know, and if a player comes up with a backstory like that as a GM, it is your responsibility to make sure that is incorporated either for good or for evil. Or like, for example, I had a mage. This is early on. Her name was Lixel. Um, and, uh, she got the shit beat out of her by an umber hulk. I mean, just like fucked her up. She almost died. And uh um she came out of it with scars. And uh so from then on, umber hulks were her big hate. Nemesis. Mm-hmm. Not nemesis so much, just her hate. She just like I mean, if somebody said there was an humble hook mode, she would go out of her way to, you know, to kill one. And that's totally great story material, because then your GM has an automatic trick hook to pull somebody into something. Mm-hmm. I have dwarven miners in a mithril mine who are dealing with umbral hulk invasion. They need help. Boom, your group has to go to the dwarves. Guess what? There's a mudslide in the path, so they have to take a detour, which takes them right into the adventure that you were wanting them to do from the get-go. Bam. Hope those Umber Hulks are still there when you finish the real adventure. (laughs) So that is a great place to wrap it up there, thinking about future adventure and how to hook your players. Alrighty, guys. Thank you for listening, and I hope you had a great weekend, and I hope you got some gaming in, because that's the important part of the weekend. So much gaming. Alright, bye guys. Thank you for listening to D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. A member of the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Please follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cppn to never miss a show or stream. <laughs>